Well, welcome to our third Sunday of Advent. My name is Tom, if I haven't had a chance to meet you. I'm one of the pastors here as well. And uh, hey, third Sunday of Advent. The first Sunday of Advent, we celebrated the coming of hope. And we were reminded, really hope pervades the whole season, of course, as we're reminded of how the coming of the light of the world turned despair into hope. And then last week, we looked at celebrated love, which is kind of the traditional way we've looked at the second Sunday of Advent. And we really explored in, in you know, some imaginative detail what it was like for Mary and Joseph to receive this very unexpected gift. And really asking the question, are we ready to receive what, what Jesus wants to offer us? And here on this third Sunday of Advent, of course, we're celebrating the joy that comes. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. We just sang it. Joy to the earth, the Savior reigns. And we all long for joy. We see it everywhere. We see it in our own hearts. But what does joy really mean? And even when joy is elusive, how can we practice joy in our own lives during the Advent season, but really all year round? How do we practice it? Well, in order to really get down to the idea of joy, we need to ask for some help from Cinderella. (laughs) Remember her? despised, neglected, abused, made fun of, overworked. But somehow through the magic of her fairy godmother, she had the most unforgettable evening, right? She was whisked away. She discovered the love of her life. But then she lost them at the striking of the midnight hour. And what could she do the next day when she was back in her peasant clothing being ordered around by some awful sisters and mother. What could she do? Nothing. How could she make herself known to the prince? There was no way. She couldn't get an audience with him. There was no way that anyone would let her in the door. There's no way that anyone would believe her. No way she'd ever be recognized by him. No matter what she could try or do, she was helpless to return. And all hope was lost. And maybe her condition afterwards was even worse now that she'd had a little taste of what could be. Love gained, love lost. And isn't that at the heart of some of our greatest stories? That is until the day there was a knock on the door. And the hope that had died within Cinderella was reborn. Let's watch a little clip from the end of Cinderella. And as you watch, watch for the joy. What who she was who she really was, be enough. There was no magic to help her this time. This is perhaps the greatest risk that any of us will take, to be seen as we truly are. Have courage and be kind. princess. 
I have no carriage, no parents, no dowry. I do not even know if that beautiful slipper will fit, but if it does, will you take me as I am? An honest country girl who loves you. Of course I will. But only if you will take me as I am. An apprentice still learning his trade. Please. And they lived. There we go. Happily ever after. Isn't that how all the good stories are supposed to end? And, and there's something about this story, but so many others. When all hope has died, when the enemies look like they're about to overcome. By the way, I was just te- I was really tempted to show the clip at the end of Lord of the Rings when all the enemies were surrounding them and, you know, they're getting smaller and smaller because it tells the same story, but slightly more appealing to some in the crowd. But nonetheless, okay, when all hope had died, when the enemies looked like they were going to overcome, when there were just too many obstacles to get through and everyone has given up, there's this moment, right at this moment, when there's this marvelous, surprising, utterly unexpected good turn of events, which brings true, inexpressible joy. And every good fairy tale, every great love story, every epic tale of adventure marks this turn. It's essential to the story. It's why we keep coming back to these stories. It's why we keep retelling them. It's it's why the same story gets told again and again in different ways. It marks this turn in the story from despair to hope, from lost to found, from forgotten to remembered, from estranged 
to relationship. And when that turn happens in the story, there's joy as a response. We see joy in the characters, but we experience joy too. That's why we keep reading these stories. We keep watching these movies. There's joy in us as we hear, as we read, as we see. Uh, Tolkien himself, the man who wrote Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit, he says that there's a, quote, good catastrophe in every pivotal moment of every great story. He calls it the catastrophe. He makes up a word. Those guys do that. And it's this sudden good turning of events. And why is that, Tolkien asks, why is that in every great story that we tell and hear again and again? He says it's because all of our greatest human stories point us to the one grandest story of all. The story that we were lost. The story that we were in despair. That we had been forgotten. That we were estranged. That there was no way out for us. And God came looking. God searched for us. God did whatever he had to do to find us, to win us back. Ultimately sending his own son, Jesus. Something we celebrate during the darkest time of the year. That in that moment of utter blackness, the light of the world was dawned. And the tragedy that the world had become, the tragedy that we see played out on the world stage down through history into today, the tragedy that we experience in our own lives, in our families, the tragedies that we have struggled with that have, that have marred us, that tragedy turns to a comedy. <laughs> or you could even say a romantic action comedy. It kind of gets everyone. You know, there's romantic action comedies. Death, come on, don't look so skeptical. There's romantic action comedies. It turns this tragedy into a comedy where sorrow is turned to joy, where enemies are routed, and where weeping is turned to laughter. Now, in the story of God's people, which is shared with us by the ancient uh, poets and prophets and storytellers in the Old Testament, joy is always rooted in Yahweh's decisive action in history, his action on their behalf. I mean, they celebrate that he, that he stepped in and created the world, that he got everything going, and then they celebrate again and again how God would step in and would work wonders on behalf of his people, would bring deliverance, would rout their enemies, would show them the way, would bring them through the sea, would give them a land, how God was active among them. Joy was the response that God's people had as God delivered his people from their enemies. And as a result of what God had done, as a result of what God was doing, joy was the way that God's people would worship him. When we look through the worship uh, book uh, of God's people, the hundred, there's kind of a, in the middle of the Bible, there's 150 songs that were collected. The book of Psalms, 150 of them. And they, if we look through it, one of the dominant themes of the Psalms is joyful worship. Now, it's not the only dominant theme. And I don't want to, you know, suggest that that's all that's going on. Because when you read the Psalms, lament, grief, crying out to God in the midst of struggle is also a dominant theme. Often we see them side by side. But joy is definitely a dominant theme, a dominant expression. Let me rattle off a couple Psalms for you. In Psalm 71, 23, we read, My lips will shout for joy when I sing praise to you, I whom you have delivered. There he's reflecting on what God has done in his life. And joyful praise is the result. We also read in Psalm 28, 7, The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts in him and he helps me. My heart leaps for joy. And with my song, I praise him. Joy is a way that God 
God's people express their worship to God. But not only are God's people shouting for joy, but what we see all through the scripture in the Psalms and the prophets is that creation itself shouts for joy or is called to shout for joy. In Psalm 100 verse 1, we hear the call, shout for joy to the Lord all the earth. And that represents people, of course, but it represents all of creation being called to shout for joy to the Lord. In Psalm 65, 13, we read, the meadows are covered with flocks and the valleys are mantled with grain. This picture of creation in harmony, uh, in abundance, is something that we experience a lot here in the Crescent Valley. And, and as, as the psalmist imagines this picture of, of, of valleys mantled with grain, he acknowledges that they shout for joy and sing. Whenever God's people, whenever God's planet simply reflects what they were created to be, whether it's an eagle flying in the air or a fish swimming in the sea or people living under the good leadership of their God in his image. Whenever God's people or God's planet live the way that God has called them to live and when we as people consider who God is and what he has done in our lives, joyful praise is the result. This comes even naturally, you could say. And why is that? Well, for us, because we recognize that when all hope was gone, when all enemies had pressed in around us, when our chances of survival had been erased and we knew we were lost, God had stepped in. God stepped into history. God stepped into time. God stepped into our world and to our brokenness, becoming a human person in the person of Jesus Christ, living the perfect life we couldn't live, showing us the kingdom of God, showing us the care of God and the goodness of God, and then marching his way to the cross and being killed by the powers of evil, and human rulers bringing through his death the end of death itself and rising again to life evermore. And when we really get that into our hearts, when we really let that story of what God has done in Jesus, of that he stepped in, that he turned our tragedy to a comedy, when we start to get that into our hearts, that begins to fill us with joy. It doesn't mean that we don't have particular struggles, of course. It doesn't mean that our families aren't facing struggles or we aren't facing health struggles. It doesn't mean that everything in the world is suddenly just awesome. That's not what that means. But it does mean that even in the midst of that, we acknowledge that our central story as followers of Jesus, what is at the very core, is that God has stepped into our mess. He has done something decisive to bring light to the world and he is actively carrying us forward into his good future. As we move further on into the story of God's people, we find that God's people were once again destroyed by foreign powers due to idolatry, due to um, the way they viciously treated one another, and that God basically, as a result of their disobedience, packed them up and sent them away. And they were exiled. They were in difficult places, and they wondered if all hope had been lost. But it was in that place, in these foreign cities, working for foreign foreign governments under foreign gods, that the prophets of God began to speak to God's people of a new day that was coming. Began to tell them that there's coming a time when a great reversal would happen. When there would be a surprising turn of events. When something good, unexpected will occur and began to point to it. And this new day was pictured as a day of joy. 
a day where they would be so unbelievably happy with what God had done and was doing in their lives. And one of the songs that really stood out for me is found in Isaiah 35, but you can find them in a lot of the different prophets in the Old Testament. But in Isaiah 35, we hear this um, story or this depiction of the day of renewal told to us. It's a beautiful picture, and as we hear it, we can just feel the joy kind of pulsating through this story. So let me read it to you. I'll make a few comments as we go through it. Isaiah 35. Starts with creation. The desert and the parched land will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom. Like the crocus, it will burst into bloom. It will rejoice greatly and shout for joy. Do you hear how creation itself is beginning to express this joy? (laughs) Where there had been no life, there was now life blooming. All of creation responding. It goes on, the glory of Lebanon will be given to it, the splendor of Carmel and Sharon. They will see the glory of the Lord, the splendor of our God. And because of this picture that's given to them through the prophets, of this day of renewal that's coming, of the very creation itself rising up in joy to what God has done, because that's going to happen, then the prophet has a message for those who are still stuck in the mud who are still living under an oppressive government, who are still wondering how this is all going to work out. And here's the message. It says, strengthen the feeble hands. Steady the knees that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong, do not fear. Your God will come. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution. He will come to save you. This is the word to these exiles. This is the word that they're being reminded that there will come a day when God will act. Be strong. Don't be afraid. He'll come. He'll boot your enemies out. And of course, at the time, they were thinking, it's this enemy or that enemy. What we realize as the story goes on is the ultimate enemy wasn't flesh and blood, but it was sin and death. And Jesus came through his death and resurrection. He overturned it all. Then, the psalmist said, or the Isaiah says in Isaiah 35, then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer, and the mute tongue shout for joy. Returning to the creation theme, waters will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. This announcement that there will come a day when the eyes of the blind will be opened, the ears of the deaf unstopped, the mute shouting for joy, and the lame walking. This is something the gospel writers picked up immediately. Because what happened when Jesus found somebody that couldn't walk? Or couldn't see. Or couldn't speak. They all of a sudden could see. (laughs) All of a sudden they were shouting for joy, leaping like deer, right? And And the gospel writer saw that this is a sign in Jesus' life, in his activity, in his ministry. This is a sign that what God has promised he would do, he is doing now in the person of Jesus Christ. The day of renewal that he promised has now begun in Jesus. And the psalmist, or the gospel writers, particularly Mark, picks this up and shows how Jesus is fulfilling this promise that God gave. The renewal that would come and the joy that comes as a result. Well, Isaiah 35 finishes like this. It says, they, referring to God's people, will enter Zion, their home city, with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them. And sorrow and sighing will flee away. I love that. Joy comes when God 
acts. And just as God's people would continue to celebrate God's actions in the past, yes, starting with creation, but often celebrating his mighty acts at bringing them out of Egypt and out of slavery and bringing them through the Red Sea and bringing them through the wilderness and bringing them into the land and doing all these wonderful things and giving them the law, they would celebrate what God had done. And based on what he had done, they would look to the future and say, just as God has done it, he will do it again. And particularly those who find themselves in exile or in difficult spots realizing because God is faithful, what he has done in the past, he will do again in the future. And as a result, this posture of joy, which we see in the Psalms and we see in the prophets, this posture of joy was something central to the worship of God's people. And it expressed a deep, hopeful confidence that the darkness we may be experiencing will never overcome the light that is dawning. The light that has dawned and will ultimately dawn at the end. And so it's into this waiting world. The people of God, yes, they'd returned to their homeland, but in many ways still felt like they were in exile because they were just now under Roman leadership. It's into this waiting world that Jesus came, born to a people who were being crushed by repressive political powers, Rome, and also being crushed by an oppressive religious system, the system of the temple. And the long-awaited promise that God would act, that deliverance would come, that the eyes of the blind would be opened, that the wilderness would rejoice and blossom, that time had finally arrived in the coming of Jesus Christ. As Galatians says, in the fullness of time, God sent his son. When the time was right, God sent his son. And that night in Bethlehem, all the hopes and fears of all the years were met in him. And joy was the result. That's what, that's what came immediately as this realization that what God has said he would do, he has finally done. Joy at the sudden good turn of events. Joy at the surprise entrance of God's own son. Joy to a world that was waiting in darkness. And so the angels to those terrified shepherds on the fields that night said, don't be afraid. It's like they pulled it right out of Isaiah 35. Don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. The coming of Jesus is the sudden good turn of events. And because of God's decisive action, joy is the result. So the question we're asking today is, how do we practice that joy? How do we implement that into our lives? How do we live that out this Advent season? but more broadly, each day of our lives. I want to say two things about this, but I want to unpack them a bit. The first one is that we worship the Father for his surprising work in the world. We worship the Father. We worship him with joy. When we think about what God has done in the world, we do the same thing God's people have always done. We first look to the past and acknowledge what God has done in the past Now we look all the way back, just like God's people always have, and look back at his mighty acts of deliverance and how he's been faithful to his people all the way through history and ultimately in the coming of Jesus Christ. That God, who saw the darkness, who saw the difficulty, who saw that we were never going to find our way out, sent his son Jesus to restore and to redeem and to do what we could not do for ourselves. And that centers us and anchors us. That's the powerful act that gives us joy no matter what's happened. But then more recently, we remember our own lives. Some of us have only lived on the earth for a few decades. Some of us, like Stanley, been around for ten of them. And yet, it's short. In the grand scheme of history, very short. 
But even in our own lives, we can look and acknowledge the way that God has worked. For some of us, we can recall the places we were when we didn't know that there was a Jesus. We didn't know that God had a plan for us. We didn't know that there was even any hope of doing anything more than just existing in the world. We can look back at those times. And we can acknowledge the way that God has been at work in our lives. The surprising ways, the, the quiet ways. But we in our own lives can give testimony, can tell stories of how God has been at work in our lives and has brought change in our lives, change that we didn't expect. We didn't even look for it because we didn't know it was even possible. So we look to the past, and when we see what God has done, we worship him for his work in our world, in our personal world, in our broader world. We worship him because he's been faithful. But like God's people, As we look to the past, we also turn and look to the future and anticipate that what God has done in the past, he has promised to do in the future. Just as God rose his son from the dead, he has promised to bring resurrection to everyone who will trust their life to him. That what he has done, he will do. And we can turn to the future and anticipate that God, who has begun and brought his kingdom in his son Jesus Christ, will bring it to its fullness, to its full end. He will bring all of creation, he will bring all people to his desired good end. That's what we looked at again and again and again last year when we went through Revelation, right? We went through Revelation, we were reminded that even if we're in the middle of a mess, God has a bigger thing going on and he's going to bring us through to what he has promised he would do. We celebrate that. We look to the past and see how God is faithful. We worship him. We look to the future and we anchor and know that we have hope that God will bring us through and will bring his good future to bear on the world. And as a result of that, we can look to today. We can look into our own lives, into our own families, into our own hearts and acknowledge that God is present here today, present in our world, present in our own mess, bringing healing and restoration, guiding us, giving us purpose that we didn't know we had, showing us that there is a way forward. And we can notice that in each other's lives and encourage each other and say, you know what? I can see God's work in you. I can see the ways that he's calling you. I can, I can see how you're beginning to become less selfish, more patient. I can see how you're beginning to let go of something you thought gave you security and you're beginning to place your trust in God. I can see it happening in my life and in your life. And we worship the Father for his work in us. We worship him with joy. He's faithful in the past. He's faithful in the present. He'll be faithful in the future. The second way I believe that we can practice joy during Advent is we can make joy possible for others. Tomorrow and Tuesday are two big days in the Creston Valley Church calendar. What are those days? Yeah, someone say it. It's the Christmas hamper time. Yeah, that's right. Now, I always tell the volunteers... um, when we gather together tomorrow morning and we're ready, we're all set to load these 460 hampers that go out to Valley families, I always remind them that through the generosity of many people in this community, businesses and individuals who give incredible amounts of money, who give you know, goods and gifts, who also give incredible time and energy and insight and thought, that we, as a collective community, are able to make joy possible for some families that may have faced the Christmas season and it was just a daunting, stressful, difficult time. Now, I'm not saying it took away all that, but I acknowledge and I encourage the volunteers to acknowledge that in some key way, we were able to lift a certain part of the burden for some of these families. 
And I believe that in the lifting of that burden, like when that box arrives, I know a lot of people, when they think of a Christmas hamper, they think something about this size. It's not this size. It's like a grocery cart plus. And if it's a big family, it's like two grocery carts loaded. And there's wagons and there's stuff. And when, and then when, when that family who's, you know, struggled wondering how we're going to do it, how we're going to give to our kids, when they get this pile of stuff and they realize there's a age appropriate gift for their little girl, an age appropriate gift for their teenage son, that we, that people have actually thought about it, reflected on it, and tried to match something with them, I'm telling you, joy comes. There's joy there, knowing that there's a community that cares for us, knowing that there's something special. And, and I see it in ways that some don't. I see, and I know for our kids, um, on, the, on Tuesday, a bunch of our um, Boy Scouts, and we get, I think, T-Cats involved, and uh, firefighters, but also a lot of our just youth, help deliver down to the, down to the parking lot. And uh, it's kind of embarrassing for our teenage boys because they get hugs from crying women. Because they're so overjoyed at what they're receiving. It really touches these stoic little boys to realize that this simple gift is making a difference. We can make joy possible. I talk about that to kind of give some insight maybe into what we're doing with the Christmas hampers, but also to broaden it and ask the question, you know that every one of us have the ability to make joy possible for someone else. It could be a coworker, It could be someone at high school with you. It could be a, a friend or a neighbor, someone in your family, could be someone far away, that you are able to step in in some special way and lift their burden, maybe lift their spirit, maybe take away some of their loneliness. You know, I know that many of you, many of us feel very busy at Christmas time, very busy, overloaded, crazy, busy. And so it's easy for some of us to forget that, do you know, there are lots of people around us who aren't busy at Christmas, who actually are pretty lonely at Christmas, who aren't actually invited to many parties, who don't have a lot going on. Do you know that? And I believe that one of the ways we can make joy possible for them is by noticing them, maybe inviting them over for a special meal, maybe opening up our door to someone we hadn't thought of, maybe asking even this week, the next couple of weeks, like, who around me is unnoticed? Who around me is ignored? Who, who around me just isn't in? You know what I'm saying? That maybe I could invite to come with me. Maybe, maybe invite them to come with me shopping for the day in Cranbrook. Maybe, maybe invite them to come with me Christmas Eve and then come over to my house afterwards for appies and drinks or something. Just some way that we can begin to make joy possible for others. We can do that. And as I reflected on this, I realized that as we do that, in whatever way that might work for you, as we do that, you know what happens? It's, it's kind of a, an amazing circle of events. As we make joy possible for others, as we lift their spirits, lift their burdens, step in in some way, do you know that we become an expression of God's love for them? That we actually become a way that God is able to work in their lives? That maybe in a unique way, they begin to see God hasn't forgotten me. I am noticed. I am loved. That God becomes real to them through your action, through your care. That it could be that through our willingness to make joy possible for others, people themselves begin to reflect on who God is and what he's done. That they too begin to experience the joy 
of the Father and what he's done for us at Christmas. It's amazing. It's beautiful. And I think it's the call that each one of us have. Well, we've been closing each one of our services with the singing of O Come, O Come, Emmanuel as a way of calling out in hope and in love and in joy for God to come as he has come in the past, to come present, and as we look forward to his coming again in the future. And as we sing that song together, you can come on up, Dave. The team's going to come and lead us. As they come up and lead us in the song, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, what we're inviting you to do is to come up and get your third Advent candle. We've had candle uh, wreaths given out each week and, uh, and the candles that accompany that. And so what we're encouraging each person to do uh, in your home or with friends is to light the, the hope candle, talk about the hope you have, to light the love candle, reflect on the love of God for us, and then this week to light the joy candle, which is the third candle in the Christmas wreath. It's traditionally pink, as the others are purple, but the, the, the candles that we're handing out are, are just clear. And this week, um, actually just very recently, as in this morning, we had printer problems tech problems and so we weren't able to we normally been handing you a prayer to take home with your candle and and to then reflect on so here's what i'm gonna those of you who've been doing this on your bulletin i printed the verse we actually have on this thing it's the luke 2 verse and then we actually were going to ask you to reflect on the words of joy to the world so if you want to google them or even look at a hymnal if you have it um, maybe you know the words, but just to, to read the words of joy to the world and reflect on them. And here's the two questions we wanted to ask you this week to reflect on together. And you might want to write this down. The first one is, what brings you joy at Christmas? And to share that with each other. Like maybe a joyful time or a joyful experience. Like what was Chris, what's Christmas joy mean for you? And then the second question comes right out of my closing challenge, which is, who is God calling you to make joy possible for this Christmas? Is there a person at work, a friend, a neighbor? In what way is joy, are you being called, are we being called to make joy possible for others and to follow the Holy Spirit's leading in that, to do just that?